Hi there, and welcome to Indie Know, a podcast hosted by me, Lane Northcutt. Each episode, I will interview an indie author or publishing professional and chat about all things related to the author journey, including writing, editing, publishing, marketing, advertising, and so much more. If you're an author or just interested in learning more about writing, then stick around. Each week, my goal is simple, to help you learn a bit more about the craft and the industry. After listening, I hope you'll feel a little bit more Indie No. Hi there, and welcome to Indie No. Today's guest is Raylin Fry, who also goes by the name of Rachel. Raylin loves all things young adult, books, TV shows, movies, discussions. She loves the newness that YA brings and the experiences that come with growing up. She reads and writes voraciously. Sometimes it just takes her a little longer than others to finish. She has been married for a long time and has two beautiful girls. She lives in the amazing state of Idaho and loves doing anything outdoors. She used to be a competitive Irish dancer, so if you ask nicely, she may just dance you a genuine jig. She has an unhealthy obsession with expensive handbags and two tall high heels, and office supplies, and books, and fine point pens, because those are honestly the only kind any of you lot should be using. She loves the X-Files and Jesus, but not in that order. Overall, she's pretty laid back, disorganized, and pretends to have an astute attention to detail. But that is a lie she will readily admit. She also has a killer personality and great sense of humor. She has a passion for writing and supporting the writing community and young authors. And she is one of the founding members of the hashtag the writer community. Without further ado, welcome, Rachel. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's, it's great to have you. And I would love to know a little bit more about you that we didn't get to hear in the About Me section. Sure. Well, like I said, um, I live in Idaho and I am very active outdoors. I love um, just going on walks every day, riding bikes. I also work in finance, which is the complete Mm -hmm. opposite of a creative writer. Um, And so it's a real struggle sometimes to think that analytically and just to really be inside of a box. But I Mm -hmm. also feel that that helps me in writing. And I also feel that the creative writing side of me helps me do my finance job. A lot better. In what ways does the finance help the writing and, and vice versa? Well, vice versa. I'll start that way first. Um, my boss is very left-brained. He's very, very much black and white, a numbers guy. And being a writer, you have to think of things from different angles. You have to come up with different possibilities to get your characters out of situations or to make plots work. And so that really helps me with the numbers, with finance, because you know, so much in finance, we think that there's only one way to do things, right? Because with math, that's Mm -hmm. usually how it is. But if you're approaching at it with the angle of, okay, well, this is one possibility, but what's another way to get there in a route that maybe my counterparts, my colleagues wouldn't think of? And so I've been able to come up with a lot of problem-solving skills and a lot of options that have really been good for the company because I take that role. Um, I also color code everything and it drives my (laughs) boss up the wall. I bet. Yeah. I, uh, I I never used to color code anything until I started doing chapter by chapter outlines with uh, different acts and, and I color code those, but that's, that's as far as I go with my, my color coding. Oh man, I color code. I have so many highlighters. Uh, it's not even, it's not even funny. <laughs> what's your, what's your favorite uh, color scheme or, or system to go with when you color code usually? Oh, I rainbow and I'll usually do like pastel rainbows. And I like with my work, if it's color-coded in red or pink, that's bad. 
like a stoplight, you know, mm-hmm. red means stop. Orange means, uh, we're kind of getting there. Um, yellow means you need attention. Green means we're good to go. So pretty, pretty simple and straightforward. Yeah. And those translate fairly well, I would, I would imagine into the writing side of things. Yes, exactly. Um, because when I am highlighting, I have a big binder when I go through my editing and I do, if there's a part of my story that doesn't match up or doesn't make sense, I use, you know, one of those brighter highlighters, red, pink, um, that really catch the attention. If I like something and I want to carry it through to other places, I will do green, but then also, and this is getting so nitty gritty, but if there's a section that needs to be moved, I'll just highlight it all in one color and then put notes in the same color somewhere else. You know, mm-hmm. you need to move that section over there to to here to this spot. So I'm very visual. And it sounds like a great system that works for you. Yeah, it really does. It's been successful so far. Now, I'd love to know how you got into writing and specifically how you made the decision to get into the self-publishing indie side of things. Sure. Uh, so I started writing, gosh... 10 years ago, maybe. And uh, it started with the Twilight Saga. And uh, I apologize in advance for anybody that absolutely loves that series and thinks that it's (laughs) the best written book ever. Um, But I read it and I thought to myself when I finished, I said, I can do this. If Mm -hmm. this is what sells, I can do this. You know, the writing wasn't necessarily the best, but there was something about it. There was the story, the characters, just something that drew you in. And I said, I have stories. I can do this. I can write. And let's see what happens. And so that's how I got started writing. Um, As far as getting into the indie publishing, um, I tried the um, traditional route for a while. Mm -hmm. But the problem with that is it's so subjective, right? And so you're going through not only the subjectivity of the reader, but you have to go through an agent then you have to go through an editor, you know, at the publishing house. And so there's all these layers of people and static that you have to go through before you actually get to your reader. Right. And, you know, I had a lot of interest in some of my earlier books, but at the end of the day, I just decided, you know, I want to decide what I publish when I publish. I don't want to wait the 12 to 18 months it typically takes to get your book into the hands of readers. And the way traditional publishing was going, a lot of the marketing was put on your shoulders. So the traditional publishing route didn't take care of what it used to take care of. So you're Mm -hmm. still responsible for building your platform, for marketing yourself. Maybe they would put you on book tours. Maybe they would do this and that. But for the most part, you're doing a lot of the work yourself and you're paying them a big chunk of money. So I was just like, I want to do this my way. I want to keep as much in my pocket as I can. Uh, Let's just see what happens. And it just went from there. And and I'd love to know a little bit more about your writing process. Like what what uh, what is it like for you when you sit down to write and and how do you usually go about structuring it? You know, I I am not an organized person. I like to pretend that I am. <laughs> I I get all this stuff to be organized um and then I never use it. So each book has been different um in as far as my process. Uh the book series that's out right now, Cast and Outcast, Cast I outlined from start to finish and wrote in 30 days. I'm not an outliner. I don't like that structure. I feel like I'm in a box, but I know that it works for me. I know that when I outline, it's boring for me, but I know that I have a roadmap and points that I need to hit. And it's a lot easier to structure. Um, 
with one of my other books that's going to be coming out this year. It's a young adult contemporary fantasy. That one started from a dream and it just kind of came to me and I just wrote the whole thing free form without an outline and it worked really well. The current one that I'm doing right now, I decided to try it using the save the cat three act structure method. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's actually been working really well. And it's kind of a hybrid of, I was plotting out and outlining, outlining my main points and then the rest was just kind of free form as it came, restructuring what I needed. And so I'm, I'm kind of feeling that this is my jive. This is, this is the way that I like so far. <laughs> and I love that you bring that up because that's exactly how I've been going about doing my sequel. And I love the Save the Cat um, structure, the three-act structure. And, and when I mention the color coding, I do it by the, the three-act Save the Cat structure in that you know I have the the opening part there, act one being green. I think my act two point, you know, 2.0 is yellow, 2.5, act two is, is orange, and then act three is red. And, and just having that visual, visualization and, and that structure there has been so helpful for me who pantsed the entire first draft of my, my <laughs> first novel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with that because, you know, I've used sticky notes too. Um, Mm-hmm. colored sticky notes and, and put them all over my walls and windows. And sometimes we get so deep into the trenches and so deep into the details. And as writers, we we know each and every character's backstory um, to the nth degree. And we know what's going to come later on. And so it's it's really hard to sometimes just get in the moment. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you have some process that works for you, whether it's color coding or sticky notes or something that forces you even visually to take a step back, because you can't see all the details because you're just limited to those cards. It really helps put things in perspective and like kind of puts blinders on you. You know that, okay, I just need to look at this piece right now and see how it needs to work for the second piece. I don't need to worry about what's happening in book two and three or what's happened in their backstory that the reader is never going to know about. I just need to focus with what's going on right here and now. Your corporation series, can you talk a little bit about how it went from writing book one into writing the sequel and some of the the struggles you had with the sequel and how you overcame those? I thought that when I first started writing, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, writing a series is going to be so easy because you already have the world established, the characters established, (laughs) you have a storyline that can easily be carried into the next book. And I love my story and I love my characters, but it's a nightmare (laughs) for me (laughs) writing these books. Um, The second one, there's probably writing-wise a gap of about a year or two between each book just because life has gotten in the way. But also figuring out what else you want to happen, how you can fatten that plot and raise the stakes even more, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the the three-act story structure, you have that dark night of soul, which is supposed to be the worst possible moment for your hero that they have to overcome. And then they resolve it at the end. But then if you're doing a series okay, what else can happen? What What's worse, even worse that can happen? And so for me, it was a fine line of, because I do YA, how much is enough angst and how much is turning it into a teen drama that people are just going to roll their eyes at? Um, <laughs> right. But it, it took a while. It actually, once you get going, I sat down and I mapped out everything that could happen. And I didn't limit myself to, okay, this just needs to happen in book two. What is the complete story of Ethan's arc? how's Karis's life going to finish out? And so I just wrote that out and mapped it out, took it to its logical conclusion for my characters in the plot line and was able to then say, okay, well, this is enough for book two. I can add these little pieces to make it a complete story arc, you know, with little mini dramas and the big overall problem. 
And then here's book three where everything's going to tie together. And it was really neat for the third book that's going to be coming out this year is um, everything just came together so naturally. And it's really amazing when that happens with the story. And it just, you don't have to force it. Mm-hmm. It's just the logical, natural conclusion of things. And what would you say to those those authors out there who are struggling to to make a decision, you know, because I think the thing with the the book too, right, is that especially if your your first book ended in such a way that was open, what would what would you say to those who are out there saying, well, gosh, there's so many decisions to make. What where do I where do I even begin? I think it's important. So, like, here's an example. My current book that I'm writing about Atlantis that's going to come out this year, it's one solid story right now. I could make it into two, but the thing is I don't have enough to make it into two. It would be better to be a more robust first single standalone book than to try and stretch it into a second one. So I think that the important thing is, is do you actually have a story to tell in the second one or are you just grasping and and filling it with a lot of filler? Do you have something that your character needs to say, that your story needs to say that's important and is going to have an impact on the reader and have an overall good impact on your characters and your story. If you're just writing just to have a second book, I think that you should relook at your drive um, Mm -hmm. and just figure out, okay, is there more that I can add to actually make this a good story of substance? Or do I just need to let go of that and maybe later on down the line do a novella or do a spinoff series or or something else? Don't don't throw away the idea completely, but I would just say to um, seriously consider your motivations for wanting to do the second book. Right. And when talking about a, a, a series, specifically a trilogy, do you also think about the act structure as the overarching idea? Like say book one is act one, book two is act two, and book three, act three? Yes, um, I do. And you know, it, it's funny because I think as writers, we naturally more or less fall into that three-act structure when we're writing. Mm-hmm. The same with um, writing a series. But I was listening to um, a, a masterclass and she compared a series to the three-act structure as well. And I sat down and I said, that's genius. That makes so much sense. And it makes plotting out your series that much easier because you know, you know, by the end of the second book, you're having that dark night of soul. Or at the beginning of the third book, you're having that dark night of soul. Um, and it's it's a really clever way to map out your series because it makes it a lot easier. So yes, I definitely use that. I went back to my series and pinpointed all of those pivot points and all of those um, major points that you're supposed to be hitting in mm-hmm. um, the three act structure. And it, it it's pretty cool that it falls into that. As far as the self-publishing side of things goes, how how was it publishing your first book? What were what were some of the pitfalls that you you encountered and and how did you get around those? My number one pitfall for originally self-publishing was that I did not take my time and mm. I rushed into it. I was so excited to get my book out there. I was so excited to see how many millions of copies I was going to sell <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, it, it probably wasn't the best choice to do it as quickly as I did. There were editing mistakes. There were um, formatting errors in the ebook. Um, I had no marketing plan whatsoever. I did not really have an online presence. I, and I'm not saying that you have to have a, a huge online presence um, right. before you launch a book, but it's a good idea to have something so that you can promote and you can advertise. And I didn't have any of that. So I basically just put my book out there and sat back and was wondering why uh, I wasn't a millionaire quitting my job. And so 
<laughs> if I could go back and do things differently, I definitely would be a little more organized. I would have a more fleshed out game plan as far as marketing goes. Um, and I would make sure that I took the time and spent the money needed to get the proper editing, the proper cover design, the proper ebook formatting, or if I didn't want to pay somebody to do that, to do enough research and have enough practice that it that it looked well done. Yeah. And and can you talk about that? that beginning of the process, the the mindset that you had going into it um, initially when you, when you said, I'm going to self-publish this book instead of go the traditional route when you made that decision and, and what it was, what it was like to, to finally realize that, that you were in complete control of your, your narrative. I am, I'm a go-getter by nature. I am a very positive person by nature. It takes a lot to bring me down. It takes a lot for me to get discouraged when I have a goal, I will do whatever needs to be done to get it done. If somebody tells me I can't do something, I'm going to find five different ways to show them that they're wrong. Um, so I wasn't discouraged at all, which was awesome. I know a lot of people are discouraged when they're faced with self-publishing because there are so many options. But I was, I was very excited. I did a lot of research. I read a lot of blogs. I read a lot of articles. Um, I looked at different platforms to self-publish on. Um, I finally decided to go with Amazon just because it was basically a one-stop shop. Um, and Amazon has a very large reach. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just, they had a lot of tools as an author that would help me. They had a lot of tools for an author. Um, and so I found a lot of blogs that told you how to format your eBooks, um, how to format your covers. And I designed my covers myself because I was on a shoestring budget. I didn't have money to do anything. And so wow. I, yeah, and it's, it's great. I love my covers. They're, they're a little dated. <laughs> I'm working with a cover artist <laughs> this time around for a relaunch. Um, but I love them and I did them all in PowerPoint. Um, and I think they turned out pretty good, but wow. um, yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, people are going to probably look at them now and be like, oh yeah, I can tell, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's an amazing point that you bring up because sometimes you know, as indie, as indie authors, we we often start with this this drive, this passion for the story that we have, but we forget that sometimes it can cost a lot of money, and usually it's all our own money, right, going into this project. So, um, what what is your what is your advice for those authors who say, well, gosh, I, I have a I have a story, I have a book that I I'm writing, but I don't know if I can, if I have the time or the money to, to put it out there. Like once I finish writing it, my number one thing is, and this is my personal opinion, but do not go into debt to publish your book. Mm -hmm. It's a reality that there are very, very few indie authors that make enough money to recover the costs of publishing a book. And that, and that's just a fact, right? We aren't necessarily indie authors because we're in it to get rich. Yeah, that would right. be an amazing side effect. But we're in it to tell a story. We're in it to get our books in the hands of readers because we have a story to tell and we think they're going to enjoy it. So don't go into debt for your book. Save up if you can. If you're mm -hmm. impatient like me and you don't want to waste that time trying to save up, then you need to be prepared to live within your budget right? You need to be prepared to, you know, um, take the time to learn how to use some of the free Photoshop programs, create your cover, be content with the quality that you can afford. Um, as far as editing goes, you know, maybe you can't afford $800,000 for your script to be edited by a professional, but maybe 
you can afford a $40 subscription to Pro Writing Aid and get started there. Maybe you mm-hmm. have a friend that has an English degree or you have a friend that's a teacher that's willing to look over your work. Um, beta readers, critique partners, take advantage of the writing community that's out there, of the resources that you can get. And you can actually get a lot done for very cheap. Just making connections and getting out there for marketing your own book and giveaways and everything like that. It's going to cost money up front, but don't overspend just in the excitement of wanting to get your book out there. Right. And I love that you bring up the words, the writing community, because you're one of the founding members of the hashtag, the writing community. So I'd love to, to chat more about that. Tell us, tell us some more about who you all are, what you do, how this is, is so helpful for the indie author community. Yes. Oh, so the writer community, it is, I'm so involved in that right now. I love it. It is a passion of mine, almost as much as writing itself. Um, I am a helper by nature. I love helping people. I love giving them advice. I love trying to make things work. And then I especially love seeing them succeed. You know, as writers, we're not in competition with each other. We should be there to support and to share in the joys and the sorrows of writing and and to see somebody succeed, especially if they succeed because of something that you helped them with. It's such a fulfilling experience. Um, So the writer community, hashtag the writer community, and then we also set up um, a central Instagram account finally, um, Mm -hmm. was started by... Sydney Horst and Megan Davies. And um, they brought me in a month after they started it. And it just basically started with a month of scripts um, or prompts that we gave the writer community. And Sky was brought in a month after myself. And the four of us just mesh so incredibly well. Uh, We've become fast friends. I mean, we're talking about going over to the UK to visit Megan and, you know, just doing writer retreats and just all of these great things. We just mesh and we have the shared love and passion for helping the writer community connect, grow, and learn. And that's our foundation for this community that we've created. We want to help each other. We want to give resources so that you can become a better writer, that you have a place to connect with other writers, ask questions, and just become better at your craft and do so in a supportive environment. I love that. I, I think that that is such an important thing to have, right? Especially for us indie authors, self-published authors out there, because there's there's not as much of a... Actually, I, I won't even say that because there is, I think, more of a community actually out there for us. We just don't realize how big and and important that is. There, there are so many people on, on Instagram and Twitter and now TikTok. And, and if we just reach out there's probably a thousand hands to reach back to help us with whatever we're facing, right? Oh, exactly. And and you said it perfectly. There are thousands and millions of other writers out there. But sometimes when you're in something as big as Instagram or Twitter even, um, it's so easy to just jump in and get lost and just like wait for others to find you. You know, you just sit in there twiddling your thumbs like, hi, I'm new in town. Like, who wants to be my friend? (laughs) And so the writer community is a great place to jump in and get involved and just meet people right off the bat uh, because everybody's looking for somebody to connect with, to build relationships with, to build a community with. And we've just kind of taken advantage of that desire and that need. And we've created a central place for everybody to come and take advantage of that. And it's been so amazing to see the connections grow and see people's um, writing careers take off and just them really blossom in their own voice on Instagram. And just the um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Just what they can offer to other writers. And we have so many talented people out there. It's just, it's really awesome. And I have to say, I think what you you all are doing is is so amazing, especially for our community, because I see the the posts all the time. And I think the one I see most often might be, I think it's called Writer Talk Tuesday. Yes, yes. I love that one and and how there's so many good interactions between all the different authors as they they comment below each other and 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 uh, go back and forth with their their tips and tricks and and thoughts on whatever the the conversation is is chatting about that day. I love Writer Talk Tuesday. That is one of my favorite days of the week. And um, that's actually what got me roped into the writer community is Sydney was hosting these in her stories. And she just one day tagged me. She's like, I want to hear what Rachel has to say about this. And I'm like, I look around. I'm like, who? Me? You know me? You know who I am? You want my opinion? Okay. And it's just great because we do want each other's opinions, right? We want to know how we can get better in the craft, um, how to overcome those problems of you know telling when we should be showing. And so to offer that central post where people know, okay, on Tuesday, I'm going to learn more about the craft and I'm going to learn a new trick from a fellow writer and they wait for those days. Uh, it's really, mm-hmm. really special. And can you mention some of the other days that we see throughout the week? Yeah. So on um, Mondays, we do um, vision boards. And so that's just to help people put together like their plots visually or their um, characters or just something like that. And it's a fun way. We're artistic people as writers. And so it's just another fun way to visually bring life to our book, to our work that we're doing. Um, we do Writer Talk Tuesday, where we pose a specific question about about a portion of the craft and writers offer their advice. Um, we do Wednesday snippets where People will share a snippet of their work and you go and comment on it. You can offer critique advice if that's what they're wanting or if they're just wanting to share it, they can share it. And that is so much fun to read the different stories that are going to be coming out and mm-hmm. just the level of talent that's out there in the ether. It's it's amazing. On Thursday, we do Story Development Thursday, which is similar to Writer Talk Tuesday, except it's more of us sharing or in everybody, actually. It's not just the writer community that does it, but it's all the participants as well that share about a topic on story development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Friday, we do author promotions or we do some sort of promotion from for a topic or genre in the community. So whether it's cover designers or fellow accounts that you follow that you think are good, um, editors, things like that. Because again, we're really about building the community and creating connections. Um, and so what better way is that of, you know, just going out there and promoting And then on Saturday, we usually do our lives. And so if there's an author with a book coming up, we'll do an author interview or um, one of the four of us, two of us will get together and we'll just talk about usually the topic that we discussed on Writer Talk Tuesday and just offer more in-depth content and dialogue about it. So then on Sunday, we have goals that we just encourage everybody to post about, including a self-care goal, um, because it's so easy to just get drained and not fill yourself back up. And so Mm -hmm. self-care is just really important. And putting your goals on paper, make the possibility of them actually happening so much higher. So we just encourage everybody to share that. And that's amazing. I love that there's, it doesn't matter what day of the week that you're online on social media. If you're following this, you're going to have plenty of knowledge and uplifting um, messages and, and overall just inspiration from fellow authors out there. As long as you just log in and check out the hashtag, right? And now the formal the formal page that you've created. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons that we wanted to create this community as well. And we stress to everybody, you know, this isn't 
this isn't some trendy monthly challenge that mm-hmm. we're doing. We're creating uh, a month with consistency. So you know what's going to be discussed on certain days, the topic or the genre. And you can participate as your schedule allows, as you want to. If you only want to do vision board Monday and, and be artistic that way, awesome. Post on those days. But it still has you a part of a group, um, but being able to participate on your terms and your time schedule. What do you say to the authors out there who have been kind of lurking and and unsure as to whether or not they they should participate in any of these days. Oh my gosh, jump in. We want to know you. We want to get to know you. Every time we see a new person that's actively joining, we get so excited. Um, Even if you drop us a DM, any one of us or the group page and just say, hey, I'm new here. We genuinely get so excited, so excited. (laughs) And we welcome you and we introduce you to the community. So if you're lurking, just it's all in, baby, all in. That's the best way to do it. You mentioned earlier, actually, how you've watched writers grow and and blossom and succeed after joining this community, be, becoming a part of the community. Can you talk about some of the impact and an actual experience and what you've seen firsthand happen to some of these authors who have joined the community and, and thrived in it and gone beyond? The main thing that I notice with them is they find their voice. And they find the confidence to speak with that voice. And it's so amazing. There's one um, gal on there, her name's Mayan. And she, I remember when I first reached out to her because we were going to be talking about story structure because she's so talented and she's so analytical in the way that she thinks, but she's also very, very creative. And so I said, I want to do a collab with her. I want to do this um, alive with her and talk about it. So we talked about finding the theme of your novel. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you guys are interested in reading that or watching that, that's on my um, IGTV. So you can check that out. But she did that. She was so, she's like, oh my gosh, yes, of course, I'd love to do that. You know, I'm honored that you would think of us or that you guys would think of me. And after that, like her page is one of my favorite pages because it is filled with so much in-depth content on the craft of writing. And I don't want to say that it's because of us that she did this, but I think that it helped um, give her a little more confidence that she knew what she was talking about. And I think that's the pitfall for a lot of us is we have this knowledge, but then when we're faced with putting it out in the world, we second guess ourselves and we're like, well, do I really know what I'm talking about? Does what I yeah. say hold water or is it, or am I going to say it? And somebody's going to be like, oh my gosh, she does not know what she's talking about. She needs to just, you know, silence herself. And so I think when, um, when we do speak up and we do participate and we're getting validation, it helps us to say, okay, well, I do have some authority in this topic. I'm going to talk a little bit louder. And it's just a lot of fun to see that happen. Yeah. And and I love that you brought that up because you know, as authors, specifically, I think indie slash self-publishing authors, right? We we all have this kind of idea, at least somewhat buried deep, I think, maybe, that we don't know enough about the craft. We we aren't intelligent in our field, even if we've we've written a book, we've published a book, we might even have a series or or 20 books out, but there's still this seed of doubt and imposter syndrome and 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 sometimes it's it's hard to to feel like we actually know what we're doing, right? And and what are your thoughts on on how to defeat imposter syndrome, or or at least how to deal with it manageably? Uh, that's such a good question. And you know, it, it's funny because uh, Megan and I, well, Megan Sky and Sydney and I, we all talked about this the other day. And I told her, I said, you know, to be honest, like 
I am constantly every day dealing with imposter syndrome. And for me, I don't think it's something that will ever go away. I will always have that voice in the back of my head saying, "Mm, did you really mean to say that? Oh, you know, do you really know what you're doing? But I think the important part is to face that when it comes up, you know, um, I'm the kind of person where I look at everything objectively. I weigh it. I look from both sides to see both angles. You know, is there truth to this? What truth is there? And then problem solve for there. So when that imposter syndrome comes up, I do look at it head on and I, and I say, okay, what are you saying? What is the truth in that? Because I do believe that in everything that is said or thought, there is a sliver of truth. It just mm-hmm. depends how big that sliver is. So if, for example, if my imposter syndrome says, Oh wow! Like that that line there that that just that sounded really really bad, and you sound really conceited when you're writing that, or whatever. I'll, I'll look at it and I'll say, okay, well, yeah, that is a bad line. It's a terrible line. I I I told instead of showed, or 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 whatever it is. And so I'll look at it and I try and learn from my imposter syndrome, and I try and build myself up as well. You know, if if it's saying that. I'm a terrible writer or, you know, I don't deserve to be a part of the writer community because there are so many other people that are so much better at writing than I am. Then I look at, Mm -hmm. yeah, there are, but I have something that I can offer the community that maybe those other people can't. Or let me look at those other people that I feel are better than me and what can I learn from them? How can I reach out to them and build bridges and continue my growth instead of just listening to that imposter syndrome and just curling up into a little ball and, you know, not going anywhere. So I think it's important for me to realize that imposter syndrome is always going to be there. It's not going to go away, but it's about not giving it more of my attention than it deserves or than it, it needs. I, I want to use it to help me be a better writer than to tear me down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's such a, it's such a difficult thing sometimes, right? When, you know, even if you've written a book, I know for me, you know, I, I never feel like an expert on anything, regardless of if I am or not. I'm, I'm, and I probably will never feel like I'm truly an expert on anything. Um, but you know, there there are there are things you can focus on when you when you feel that way. You can focus on what do I know? What do I know for sure? And and what do I feel confident in? Even if it's just I write really good dialogue, or I'm really good at having basic concepts from which I can build a book or idea or character. You know, you can focus on what seeds do I have that that I can plant. And and, and you know, it it's, it can be difficult to to come up with those sometimes, but I think if you can just find one little thing about your your yourself, your creativity, your your process, your your career as an author um, that you really think you you thrive at or you're good at then, then that, can, that can help a lot in your battle against your imposter syndrome. Right. And I think it's also important, a good tool to have in your toolbox to fight that is um, there, everything is subjective, right? So mm-hmm. no matter what you say, you're going to have somebody out there that contradicts you. That's fine. We're all entitled to our opinions. We all have different lenses that we're looking at things through. There's always going to be the haters out there. For example, I've been dealing and riding horses for 30 years. Okay. I was a competitive Irish dancer for <laughs> close to 20. So I have a lot of authority in those two topics. Like I know a lot. I can speak with confidence over both of those topics, but there's always going to be somebody out there that knows more than I do. There's always going to be somebody out there that says, oh, that was completely wrong. She doesn't know what she's talking about, but I have to have trust in my own knowledge of the topic and then also accept that I'm not going to make everybody happy and that there's always going to be somebody out there that likes to stir the pot. 
And that's just part of what makes life interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always love to say that, you know, that there are billions of people in the world, but there's always going to be that one person who needs to hear your story. Yes, exactly. Yep. Speaking of things we're really good at, I know that you particularly are, are really strong with, with writing good, strong dialogue and self-editing. And I'd love to chat a little bit about those two topics. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are my two favorite topics <laughs> when it comes to writing. Specifically, the, the, let's start with the strong dialogue part of that. And, and what is it that, that uh, makes dialogue a little easier for you or, or that you feel makes it your strong suit? I feel that I am really good at tapping into characters' emotions and really giving them a strong voice. And especially when it comes to dialogue, because it's so easy to really show who your character is by what they say. When I write dialogue, when I write any scene, really, I first visualize it in my head like I'm watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I will do that, you know, three or four times, maybe even more. And I'm looking at everything. I'm looking at, are they pacing? Are they sitting? What are they doing with their hands? What are they looking at? What's the person doing that they're in the room with? And then I describe that like I'm like I'm writing a scene for, for a movie. And, and the dialogue comes with that because sometimes dialogue can get really stilted. And that's mm-hmm. really easy to do. And I've read a lot of books where I'm just like, this is this is forced dialogue. You're you're I feel like you're writing very properly. You're writing the way that you're you're thinking instead of the way that your character is thinking. So, you know, if your character talks really fast or in incomplete sentences or clips, clip sentences, uneven sentences, whatever it may be, use that to your advantage and write it as it's coming out in your head. Don't worry about trying to make it a complete sentence or making sure it has all the parts needed to be proper. I think that that's the one thing that makes it so much fun to read is really getting into the character's head. And if somebody doesn't feel like they they necessarily are strong with dialogue or or have been told, you know, you could, you know, you, your dialogue could use a little bit of work. What what do you recommend they do to to help that? What what sort of steps can they take to increase their their knowledge and their skill with dialogue? Yeah. So one fun thing that I really like to do is um, you can do this with a partner or you can do it with yourself and you'll just play two different roles. You set up the recorder on your phone and give yourself, if it's just you, or if you have a partner, they're doing it with you, set up the scene. Okay. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. This is the emotion on both sides. This is the discussion that needs to happen. Don't do it line by line. Tell them, okay, I'm saying this, you're upset with me, and this is how the conversation, the general direction that it needs to go, you know, where it needs to end. And then just have a conversation back and forth and really get into it. Let your emotion take over, you know, pretend like you are the character doing it. And oftentimes it's really fun to see where the conversation goes. It either is going to go where you are wanting it to go because you mapped it out pretty well, or it's going to take a life of its own and it's going to go somewhere completely different emotion wise or, you know, the dialogue, what's being said between the characters. And then go back and listen to that recording and type it out. You're going to see the naturalness, the naturalness of the discussion that took place between the two people. Mm-hmm. And so that's a fun one that I like to do. And that sounds really helpful. I feel like that that would create such a natural organic flow of, of language rather than create the, as you said earlier, stilted dialogue. Yeah, it's just... You know, we hear natural dialogue all the time out in the world, but when you sit down and you're forced to actually write it, for a lot of people, that's very challenging to do. So if you're just out there, relaxed, natural, 
you know, in recording yourself having the conversation, you'll pick up on the little mannerisms that you have that you didn't know you had or that somebody else has and how to infiltrate that into your book and your dialogue to make it read really smooth um, versus Mm -hmm. the, you know, all of the he said, she said stuff. Right. Speaking of he said, she said, I'd love to know your opinions on dialogue tags and and what authors can do to... uh, (laughs) to avoid overusing uh, certain tags and, and how to how to choose which ones and, and everything about that. Oh, dialogue tags. That is a weakness of a lot of people. I remember when I started writing, I read some blog um, and it was completely wrong, but it said, <laughs> do not use said. Use every other word except for said. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that sounds great. No, it was terrible to read. It was really bad. Um, so the consensus is, is that said is an invisible word. Okay, so if you have to, if you have to use a dialogue tag, said is probably the better one to use. If you're using something else like um, she said excitedly, that's a key indicator that you are telling instead of showing. So that's one thing that I like to do when I edit is I go through and I look for those L Y words on the end of of pretty much anywhere because that's a good indication that I am not doing my job as a writer and showing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my preferred way to add tags onto dialogue is through action. So I will use that as they're doing something, you know, like, I don't want to do that. He threw the, you know, he said, as he threw the the cup against the wall or, or something like that, you know, where you're showing, yeah. okay, because you're giving, he's an impulsive character. He can't get a control on his anger. He's mad right now. And he really doesn't care about damaging things because he's throwing things against a wall and he could hit somebody. So you get a lot of bang for your buck if you put in your dialogue with an action. Right. In that same instance, if, if we had, if we had written, you know, I don't want to do that. He said very upset or or angrily. Um, we would we would lose so much detail within his character. Yeah, and it's boring, right? We, I mean, right. it's just you know anybody can write that, but only you can write that visual scene of what's happened that you're picturing in your mind to show somebody that they're that they're angry. And I think the biggest compliment you can have as a writer is if your reader is able to read a book and they say, I had one of my friends tell me this, not about my book, but just about books in general, that Mm -hmm. um, if she can read and as she's reading, she's seeing it play out in her mind like she's watching a movie, that's how she knows she's reading a good book. And I agree with that 100%. So speaking of dialogue and editing dialogue, I'd love to transition into self-editing and and how an author can A, edit their dialogue, what they should look for when they're editing that, and then also how they edit their novel as a whole and what they can do before they even send the book off to an editor? Sure. Those are great questions. Uh, For editing dialogue, like I said, look for tags that end in L-Y because chances are you can show the way that they're feeling at that moment. I also like to, if I'm going through a scene, I will take out all of the narrative and just leave the dialogue and I will read just the dialogue going through to see if I can still get a good sense of what is going on because Mm -hmm. I, I don't want, people like reading dialogue more than they like reading big chunks of narrative. That's just, it's just natural to be that way. And so if I can get a good sense of the story and the emotion that I'm trying to elicit just from reading the dialogue, then I think that that's a good I'm at a good place. And if I can't, then I'll add more dialogue um, and I will structure it in a way that adds more excitement or the emotion that I need, but also making sure that it's relevant to the story and not just filler. How do you deal with with dialogue and subtext? How does How does an author incorporate subtext within their dialogue efficiently? I think a lot of that is done with showing, with building your character really, really well. If you have a character and you have already established that she's snarky and she has an attitude and she completely disrespects authority, 
when she says, yeah, okay, that sounds good. You know exactly the subtext to that. You know how mm-hmm. she's saying it. You know what's in her mind. And then like, you know, when you're adding um, movement to the dialogue, oh yeah, okay, that sounds good. She said, turning her head to the side, you know, or or she turned her head to the side and looked out the window. You know, she doesn't care about the person she's talking to. They don't deserve her time. You know, mm-hmm. so I think a lot of it has to do with number one, establishing your character really strongly from the beginning. And number two, making sure that you are putting that movement in with your dialogue. What are some things that authors can do to self-edit before they send it off to their editor? Yeah, well, I think I go through several rounds of editing uh, myself, and I know everybody does it differently, but I like to edit on paper. So I print all of it out, and um, I, on the first round, I go through and I'll identify any plot holes or any character arc inconsistencies or holes there, and I work on filling that. Then I'll go in and make sure that um, the little sub-stories that thread through are consistent and strong. Then I go through and I'll, and I, every level gets more and more micro. And so by the end of it, I'm looking for, you know, punctuation and um, making sure names are spelled the same way all the through, all throughout, making sure I'm taking out the filler words like start to um, or just, or the L Y words. And when you get to that last part, it's best to read your book out loud because you're going to reading out loud forces you to slow down and hear things, hear what's actually there instead of just reading what you think is there or reading what should be there when you read in your head. And so once that's all done, you've caught a good majority of it. Then I give it to beta readers, um, and get their input. And then, um, also I've just started using pro writing aid, and I really appreciate that. Um, that's a great and expensive option for editing if you can't afford, um, you know, a professional editor. So that's just a rough, high-level view of what I do for editing. Absolutely, and I love that you brought up pro writing aid because I, not to not to advertise, but they truly are a really great service. And I know you can subscribe, but the the service itself for a lifetime member uh, or a lifetime. Um, usage is is really inexpensive in itself as well. I believe it's something right over a hundred dollars or something, one twenty nine maybe. I think so. I think it's between one and two hundred dollars. Which upfront, you know, it can make some people choke. But when you think about it, if you pay like forty dollars for a year, I think it is, or something like that. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be consistently using it, you've you know, in four years, you've already paid for the whole thing, and, and it's really, I think, you can use it for work, you can use it for school, you can use it for you know, your, your novels. And I just think it's a great investment. I agree with you. Oh yeah. And I think editors would really appreciate you taking it through that, um, a passive pro writing aid or other, um, grammar software before they get it, because that could even help them in their process by limiting the number of things they have to look for so that they can get a little bit more done with it. Exactly. And, and also, you know, we as writers are going to benefit from it because we're learning, right? Mm-hmm. We're looking at what pro writing aid is saying or, or some other software and it's saying you're doing this, which is really like, it's a passive voice. You shouldn't be doing that. Okay. I learned something new. So now next time when I'm writing, I'm going to know, Hey, I probably shouldn't be using the passive voice. You're going to be taking out unwanted words, which editors charge by the word. Mm-hmm. You're going to be reducing your cost in that. So Yeah. Yeah, Definitely overall, better. I think it's a, a great a great investment for sure. Rachel, I'd love to to have your final words of advice and wisdom for those indie authors out there listening. <laughs> so my piece of advice is to get involved in a community, whether it is the writer community or a different writing community, get involved and build support, 
you know, we go so much further and our victories taste so much sweeter when we have a team cheering for us, when we are going through hard times. It's so great when somebody reaches out to you and says, Hey, I've noticed you're kind of quiet lately. Is something going on? You know, building that team and that support, that knowledge base that you can go to, that resource pool is just, it's unmatched. It is just something that you will benefit from and you will never regret doing. If interested, where can people find out more about you and your books? Uh, I am on Instagram and my handle is my pen name, which is Raylin Fry, R-A-E-L-Y-N-N-F-R-Y. And I'm pretty active on Instagram. I have a Facebook page, but I'm not as active there. Um, My books are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, I'm going to be doing audiobooks this year, so that will be fun. Um, And you can find me on Goodreads under the same pen name. And your website? www.raylinfryauthor.com. Thank you so much for joining us today. I had a great time chatting with you. Awesome. Me too. Thank you so much, Lane. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to support myself and the show, head on over to patreon.com slash today. I hope that you continue to enjoy these amazing guests each week and that you go away feeling a little bit more Indino.